Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just Two Dads. Today, there's literally just one dad because uh, my good friend um, and uh, partner in Thrive, Brian Altunian, is a bit under the weather. Um, but there is tremendous value to be added. I am so looking forward to this episode today, as I always am um, here on Just Two Dads. Welcome, everyone. Uh, here's a weekly conversation uh, known as Just Two Dads. Uh, such a privilege that I have to be able to you know, have this platform and do the things that we do. Very often we have um, guests on here that are, in some cases, household names or they have a service to promote. They have a book to promote. Well, our guest today uh, has neither, but if I have anything to say about it, she may have a book one day because like everyone else, um, she's got a story that you know, the, the value in it can be taken for granted. Um, we can be misunderstood just by, but just by sharing our path and what we've gone through, there's so much that other people can see. So uh, our guest today is a friend of the show, a friend of mine. She happens to be a wife, a mother um, with more than one child on the autism spectrum. She is a advocate um, personified. Uh, we're we're going to talk about her story, her journey. And one of the things that we're going to touch on is, um, most importantly, the very difficult decision that she and her husband had to make to find alternative housing for one of her boys on the autism spectrum. And I know, I just know there's somebody else out there that's in that situation or approaching it, or at least wonders, you know, what might I do? And um, our guest today is someone who has um, great value in her experience with that and more. Please welcome to the show, my good friend, Sylvia Lopez. Sylvia, welcome to Just Two Dads. Hi, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's an no, honor. Thank you for being here. Great, great. Well, let's kind of jump right into it. When we begin the, uh, each episode, we usually start with uh, the following. You know, you may not see yourself as a hero. You're probably, you, you know, you just do what you do um, and, you know, and you are who you are. But... Uh, I'm here to tell you that you're a hero and all heroes have superpowers and all superpowers come from a hero's origin. So where you were raised, how you were raised and everything has everything to do with how you go through life, how you face challenges, including but not limited to a diagnosis of special needs of some kind. And you and your family are well known within the special needs community, especially here in Los Angeles locally. Um, and so tell us a little bit about that, because I have never met your 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 parents i know um met a couple of your sisters but you guys just have such a, a a rich foundation of love and support and it just fills over into the community and i know for a fact that it has everything to do with the manner in which you have dealt with the um the challenges that have come about as a result of your boy's diagnosis so let's start from the beginning before you met the love of your life or your uh, childhood sweetheart um, Eddie and everything. And let's, let's start with that. Well, I'm, um, I'm the oldest of seven, but I tell everyone mm -hmm. I'm the cutest, not the oldest. I don't like to be refer referred to <laughs> as the oldest. <laughs> I'll go with uh, that. There's, like I said, seven of us, four women, three men. Um, my mm -hmm. parents have been together for 54 years wow. and my parents are, my greatest teachers and mentors and you name it 
Aureliano and Benigna mm -hmm. Rangel are the best. Um, mm -hmm. I think my parents um, really not knowing, intentionally and not knowing, prepared me for my life. Because since being the oldest of seven, you know, I had a lot of responsibilities, uh, helping out, taking care of my brothers and sisters and so forth. And they mm -hmm. also um, gave us uh, the gift of a uh, Catholic education. I went to school all my life, Catholic school, and they gave us the gift of just having a very strong faith mm -hmm. and, you know, putting God first in our lives and just everything. My parents are um, the best. I, I tell everybody they're the best um, brainwashers because, you know, all our life, you know, you can't be bored because only dumb people get bored. So, you know, motivating us always to keep busy doing something um, taught us to love first. Don't wait to be loved. Just love first and to always see the best in people and mm -hmm. to um, always go where you're welcome and you're wanted and celebrated. Mm. And so, I mean, just everything. My parents, you know, like I said, I had a very great foundation. Um, they made me the confident person that I am. I'm not the brightest. I'm, a, I'm not the, but, you know, they gave me all the confidence to always believe in myself and to always push me that, you know, I can do anything. And, right. and always knew that I had their love and support. And that made a, a huge difference. And, right, right. Um, I I owe everything to them, and I tell everybody if I'm half the person or tenth of a, the person that those two are, that's a lot because mm -hmm. my parents are extraordinary people. And that says yes, so I, much. That says so much. That says so much. Um, yes. And and I I always say that anything that is important to the general community is ten times important to the special needs community. And that means everything, being seen, yeah. being heard, self-confidence, the whole nine yards. Um, and I think one of the biggest ways to describe what you do and who you are, how you parent and how you serve the community is just that you're um, uh, great, one of the greatest examples I've ever seen of inclusion. And one of the biggest reasons for that, I think is your children and the way that you parent. So we'll get to that, but let's stick with some of the chronological order. And um, so you're, um, you and your husband have been married for how long? It'll be 30 years this September, God willingly, but we've been together for 38 years. We've been together since okay. I was a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's served uh, the community um, working, uh, you know, in law enforcement, now retired. Um, so tell us a little yes. bit about, let's kind of, you know, once you guys got, got together, let's talk about, um, the raising of your family, having, uh, your children, because, and, and that's the other thing I should have told you, as you may know, we will go as, uh, wow. shallow or, or as deep into your personal stuff as you want to, it's completely up to you. But I think that when people hear about your, your journey, um, um, having each child diagnosis, lifestyle choices all of those things is where the value comes in and, and, and talking about your example of inclusion. So why don't we start there? Yes. Well, my husband, like I said, we, we've been 
together for we were in since high school together and um, when we got married uh, we had made we had decided that we were gonna have six children and we were gonna have oh, wow, six you children. Did. We're we're seven and my husband's eight. So my okay. husband said he wanted six, that he wanted a daughter and five sons, and that he was gonna you know, his first daughter. He had he he's the gold orientated one that writes everything down, makes the goals, and I'm just the one that shakes my head. Okay, cute, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. And okay. um he said, you know, gonna have a daughter and she was gonna be the first one and her name was gonna be olivia we're gonna name her after my grandmother and we were gonna have five sons and he was gonna name them all after guitarists because my husband um loves to play the guitar so he was gonna name his sons all after famous guitarists and um we got married and we were planning not to have kids right away but it happened you know Mm -hmm. um within um within a year and four months after getting married olivia was born Mm, and so olivia was born and we had no plans of having a child soon um you know we were just so happy and in love with our daughter and and trying to figure things out because i wanted to work and and um i couldn't i didn't have anybody to watch her nobody my mother um has two younger children um olivia has a i have a brother that at the time was nine months older than um, seven months older than olivia and then my Mm -hmm. sandra that you know very well so Mm -hmm. um my mom had her hands full and she was working so i stood home with olivia and shortly after I got pregnant with James. So here comes James almost two years to the date. And mm-hmm. so now we had two kids and I was at home. I couldn't get anybody to watch them because nobody would watch children of a police officer. <laughs> oh, so gotcha. I was I I was stuck, you know, I was stuck at home. I, I my husband told me, you know what, you're gonna have to just stay home and and you know raise the kids and so and shortly boys... after that Jacob came okay what was that uh no I was gonna say no you mentioned Jacob came in and so and so and how far apart are James and Jacob yes. then Jacob and James are two years four months apart okay and, and then your third son like okay. I said it just happened like that. And then Julian and Jacob are two years, one month apart. But when I was pregnant with um what with James, with James, when he when he was born, he did everything, you know, according to the you know, the, the time that he was supposed to do everything, hit every milestone. He even started talking early and walking early and had teeth like at four months, and I was like Oh mm-hmm. my God, this kid, you know, he's just yeah. going to be a genius. And, and at 18 months, everything stopped. It was as though a switch went off and he stopped mm. talking. He just started to scream and bang his head all day and night and he wouldn't sleep. And oh my at the time I was pregnant with Jacob, 
and everyone kept telling me, oh, you know, this is happening because he knows you're pregnant, he feels it, and, you know, he knows that he's going to be bumped off soon as the baby, so this is what's going on with him, and no, it, you know, I, I never knew what autism was until my son was diagnosed, I never knew anyone that had autism, and wow. so... The doctor kept telling me, um, you know, James needs to be checked out. You need to send him to the regional center. He wouldn't say, okay. you know, what was what he felt, you know, that he might have autism or anything. At the time, I was blessed that we had um, Dr. Marvin Tan, who's one of the autism specialists here in Southern California, one of the few. And he just happened to be my my children's pediatrician, so mm. since birth. So he directly sent us sent us to the regional center. So wow. James got okay. diagnosed in two thousand on Valentine's Day, mm -hmm. and I remember he was um. It was LAUSD who who did uh who did the assessment mm -hmm. and I remember the person doing the assessment looked over at my husband and I and told us you two are very attractive and we're like oh <laughs> thank you and she was like okay. your son has autism and we were like uh <laughs> you know what is that what does that mean and you know I remember we Turning go ahead, go ahead. And looking at Eddie, looking at Eddie, and he was just holding James and in tears. And I'm like, yeah. "What's going on? I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on." And so the next thing, we were sent to the regional center. Regional center did their assessment, told us he had autism, gave us a little booklet that said. Uh, your son, your child is no longer your child. He's been taken over by an alien. And now you need to learn how to love this alien. That was in 2000. So that's in 2000. So it, it's interesting how, well, how far we've come, still how far we have to go, but everybody can relate to that date of diagnosis. And yes, it seems like, Yes. The, the most common theme, especially the further back we go, um, you know, Brian's daughter was diagnosed with um, a microcephaly and apraxia. And he mentioned that, you know, his experience was mm -hmm. where the doctor was like, um, let's see, she's blank eight years of age, da 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 Yeah, she's got that. And just like, and just spits it out. And the further back you go, the more common it is for people to hear the, the coldest experience, I mean, completely taking you for granted. And it seems like this, I, I, I will often say yes. that one should never underestimate a hu human being's ability to do great things, whether they're good, bad, indifferent, or unkind. Because the amount of ways that people can be cold, I like, you guys are very attractive, you're very good looking, and your son has autism. Like, what is that? I don't, I don't know what one has to do with the other. There's no compassion, there's no empathy. Um, so where did you go from there? I think Sylvia froze. 
Are you, oh, okay, there you go. I think you're back. Can you hear me? So I, at the time, in months old, now I, now I see you. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, yeah, so after the diagnosis, you Jacob know, when that's told, out. you you've got the 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 flyer that or the the pamphlet that talks about you know your child is now an alien. What where do you go from there then? Because you have another on the way. They didn't give us any direction, any help or anything. We had already went with LAUSD, so he was going to be placed in school and so forth. But I mean, there was no guidance. There was no guidance. It was like, okay, out the door. Here you go. You're, take your alien home. You know, attractive <laughs> people take your alien home. Deal with it. Right. You know, there, was, there was nothing. And... And at the time, I was very blessed that Olivia was in preschool and had this great preschool teacher, Michelle Lolly, who um, she helped guide me. She introduced me to other families that had children with autism and told me what school to um, have James placed at. Mm. And, and you know, I, I've been blessed. I through this my whole journey. Thank God, I've been blessed with so many angels, so many wonderful people that have helped me. Because you know, you can't get help out there. You know, the no. school district throws it to the regional center. The regional center throws it to your provider, your health provider. It's just everybody tossing the ball around all the time, and and not getting. You can't get the assistance that you need, unfortunately. Yes, yes, that's very true. And, and, and especially and for, at that time. Yeah, and for everyone listening, listen to what Sylvia has just talked about, which is, you know, what you're saying is, you know, you benefited from other people who had experience and knew. So no matter what we're going through, uh, it, it, sometimes it's tough to remember that you're not alone. And then what you go through, whatever you find a solution to, there's other people that are going to get value from uh, your story or your path to the solution. You know, we, we, we have a responsibility to look out for each other. So you're going yes. to the regional center. You found schooling for him. And at this point, you now got Olivia and two boys then, right? And one diagnosis. Yes. I had, yes. And I had Jacob was a baby. And with James, like I said, all day he would scream and cry and and bang his head and wouldn't eat. He looked like a candy apple because he was so skinny with this huge head and pale. Mm -hmm. And and, um, and it was really difficult. And Julie, Jacob was a baby, and um, I was I was struggling. I was struggling. I didn't know. I didn't know very much about autism and what I knew about autism. It wasn't good. A friend gave me a book that said that autism is cured. Uh, the not cured. The autism. The reason for autism. The, 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 the reason for autism is because mm -hmm. a refrigerator mom, a terrible mother, a cold mother. That oh yes, I know, remember that. And that 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 goes back to yes. Yeah, we, we had a guest that told us about that. We had never heard that. It was a refrigerator mom. What is that? And I think that went back yes. to, I think it was the 60s or something like that. So, you know, and this is in 2000. So at that point, you, you're hearing these outdated and and uh, untrue stories yes. anyway. That's crazy. Yes. That is completely And then crazy. My, my grandmother, 
Yes. And then my grandmother, when my son, when James was diagnosed, told me, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone because then people are going to see you and your son differently and they're going to treat you differently. And then people are also going to feel sorry for you. And, you know, you don't want that. What you need to do is swallow your pain and move forward. Now, how did you take that? Because because your grandmother helped raise at least one of, one of your parents. And, you know, so these are things that passed on. I don't know if your parents felt the same My way. My grandmother raised that me. Had... Okay, so she raised you. Uh-huh. So that's very influential. So when yes. she told you that, yes. what was your thought about that? How did you respond to that? It was really difficult when my grandmother told me that. I didn't say anything to her. Um, I just cried. And, you know, my grandmother, like I said, she was the one that raised me. She's my best friend. And I needed her support and I needed her understanding. And a a few book in Spanish about autism. My grandmother was the first person I thought of. And I went to see my grandmother and I told my grandmother, Grandma, you know, I... Abuelita, there's just stuff I don't understand in this book. Can you read it and then tell me about it? And that Mm -hmm. was my way for her to learn about autism. And, you know, maybe she would have, you know, more empathy for me and, you know, Mm. and be more supportive because, you know, her thing was like, we're not going to talk about it. Just, you know, right. like I said, swallow your pain, you move forward. You know, the women in my family were very strong and it's like, okay, it doesn't matter. We're going to do this and we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to move forward. Let's do it. Right, right. And I was like, no, no, I, I, I need, I need to know that you understand and that you support me. So my grandmother read the book in two days, called me and she told me, I read that. Uh, the book, you know, said that the reason the children have autism, it's because of refrigerator moms, because they're so cold. And she's all, we know that's not true with you. You are the most loving person I know. And you love your children. So it can be that. And it also said is because um, when parents are very intelligent, when they're so intelligent, their children come out with this disorder. And she looks at me and she tells me, I told you not to read so much. <laughs> so, let me let me ask you okay, something Grandma. now. You're familiar, but, but yes. let me tell you how, how much brilliance there is in what you did. You're familiar and know of, familiar with or at least know of the Greek philosopher Socrates, correct? Correct. What you perform there is at least a version of what's known as the Socratic method, right? And that's a, a method yes. or a technique that comes from Socrates, which says, rather than me telling you what to do or giving you an idea, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come up with that very idea on your own. You know, because it has a lot more value if you arrive at the conclusion on your own uh, versus me telling you. So by you giving your grandmother yeah. that book, seeking our help and a support which you actually value... And then allowing her to come to that conclusion on her own, that's like, that's next level, you know, um, just common sense. And so there's tremendous value in that. Um, So make sure you give yourself some credit for that. And then we also have to, there's so many lessons to unpack here too, because we can always sit in judgment of 
who other people are or aren't, what they do or don't do. But we're all the sum total of our experience. And we can't control our experiences, especially as those that are that are behind us. All we can do is determine what meaning we attach to those experiences. And if her um, experiences have led her to believe, hey, we're not going to talk about it. You know, we're going to. And, and sometimes that, that's a cultural thing based on the, the culture of the home yes. you live in. And then in our communities of color, especially in black and Latino communities where, you know, and, and then yes. especially with men, we're like, no, no, no. What we do is we soldier through. What is somebody else going to think? Yes. And so to, to take that which you have been um, raised with, realize that I love the person raising me with it. I love the person who's giving me this information, no less but there isn't any value in that and it's not going to serve me to be able to challenge that in that kind of a manner that's so respectful, so effective um, and so valuable is, is, is fantastic. Yes, no. And my grandmother became one of my hugest supporters and she was constantly trying to educate herself on autism and, you know, she's, um, and I so appreciated her and loved her even more for that because I needed Definitely. her. Yeah, yeah. I needed her so, support. I needed to know. So at this point you're in, in your life, you're still dealing with one diagnosis, right? Because you, yes. okay. So tell us then about how yes, you lead just, up to um, just, the second one with James. Yes. And with James, you know, I remember um, Jacob when he turned a year, year old I cried so much because I didn't even remember that year I mm. was struggling so much with with James and all the attention was going to James and Jacob was just so quiet Jacob was the one that talked the least of the three he talked but mm. very little and he was just I was just so grateful because wherever I placed him he would stay there he would stay there and he wouldn't make a peep and I because I was just struggling so much with with James mm -hmm. and what happens I ended up getting pregnant again mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so Jacob um, at about a year and a half since he he stopped talking he just stopped talking he wouldn't say anything mm -hmm. at all anymore it was like at 18 mm. months, that little switch would just turn on. So wow. he stopped talking and uh, we we took him with the regional center and they placed him in an early start program. And mm -hmm. he was going to this early start program in, uh, in Paramount, McKinney Jenkins, it was called. The, the okay. And they kept sending me stuff about autism in his backpack all the time and I would be like yeah. why are they always sending me this are they sending it to me because of James I never mm -hmm. thought you know Jacob just didn't make a peep he didn't yeah. make a sound but he was you know where like I said wherever I would place him he would stay there no problem and he used to like to play basketball and he would be playing with his little basketball hoop throwing the little ball mm -hmm. Lining up toys. I didn't know. I had no idea. Because he wasn't right. anything like James. James would scream and bang his head and bite. And, 
you know, wouldn't sleep and just constantly trying to run yeah. off and Jacob just stood there. So I didn't think anything. And one day they called me um, into the school that somebody from the district was coming in and wanted to speak to me. They were going to mm -hmm. do an uh, evaluation. They, they told me they did evaluations with all the kids. I guess they just saw me and they said, poor lady, she's just clueless, you know, or she just <laughs> doesn't, you know, want to deal. She doesn't with know where she's in denial. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. She's in denial. And so I went in and the person from the district was there for three seconds and was telling Jacob, do this, do that. And Jacob wouldn't do anything. And she turns around and looks at the people from the program there. And she says, why are you wasting my time? It's obvious that this child has autism and gets up and walks out. And I'm just there like with my mouth dropped to the floor. Like I never expected to hear this, that that he had autism. And she knew she knew that you as the parent were in and, the room too. Yes. Yes, wow. I was right there and she was you know, I was just this kid has autism. Why am I here? Why are they bothering me? And I remember walking to the car and I had um Julian. I already had Julian. Had him in his mm -hmm. little carrier and I'm carrying Jacob out and I'm just in tears and I am just thinking my God, how am I going to tell Eddie? How am I mm. going to tell my family? What am I going to say to everyone? Like, I feel like yeah. I, I just, I just failed, failed as a parent. Mm. Like, oh my God, now another child, another child with autism. Yeah. And wow. I went home and I was just crying with my four kids there and Eddie gets home and I tell him and he tells me, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. We're already, we're already going through this with one. So everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. We got this. We got yeah. this. And I was like, okay. Good for him. Good for Eddie. Good okay. for him. Yeah. And that's what you need because, yes. you know, they say, um, you know, Albert Einstein had a saying that says, you know, you can't solve a problem at the same level of consciousness at, at which it occurs. So in other words, you've, you're in the yes. middle of this storm, right in the eye, right dead set in the middle of it, and you're facing all these things. You need to be able to either step out of it to gain perspective to figure out what the next step is or get perspective from someone who isn't in the middle of it at that moment. And sometimes, yeah. most most times, the solution is so plain. You're like, oh my gosh, how could I not see that? I could have broken a shoulder. It was sitting right on me, like right there. But you're so focused on what you're in the middle of that this, the solution can be so hard to see. So um, this tremendous value in being able to have a partner that can do that. If I had a penny, you know, yeah. half a penny for every time my eyes have been open because of my wife's perspective, because I'm so busy just looking yes. at them. You know, they would, there would be no financial trouble in the world, no matter how bad everybody's spending habit is, because there'd be so much money produced just from that alone. It's tremendous, yes. tremendous, tremendous. So go ahead and continue. So that, so you've, you're now facing the diagnosis. He obviously gets into early intervention as well. Um, tell us a bit about how that um, progressed and then leading up to Julian's diagnosis because all three of your boys are now on the spectrum. Julian, well, uh, 
Well, yeah, Jacob went into into preschool at three and mm -hmm. he was the youngest and the biggest kid there. And mm -hmm. he used to cry a lot. He used to cry a lot. He didn't, uh, at the time we were having problems with the transportation and I would have to take him and he would just cry and cry. And unfortunately he used to get bullied a lot. He used to get bullied mm -hmm. by the other preschoolers and the parents. How did you, and the, okay. How did you guys find out that this was taking place? Was he capable of coming home and telling you, or did you, did he tell you, no, or did you find he, out? Jacob is nonverbal. He's, okay. He told this day he is nonverbal. He only says a few words. But because I was taking him to school and I was standing there, I would see and hear everything. Hmm. So what is it? What is, take, take us to the first instance, the first time you knew that he was being bullied by anybody. I remember um, there at school waiting for them to open the gate. And the thing is that the parents always used to think that I didn't know how to speak Spanish, that they would see me and uh, I didn't know how to speak Spanish. Uh, so they would be talking amongst each other. And mm -hmm. one day, one of the kids runs up to him and pushes him right in front of me and says, Chion's here, Chion. Chion is crybaby. For those of you know mm. may not know in Spanish, Chion is crybaby. Yeah. And then his mother says, oh yes, Chion's here. He's always crying. He's such a big Chion. It's so embarrassing, you know, that he's always crying so much. And at the time when she said this, this other little girl got off the bus. The little girl um, got there and the little girl has Down syndrome. And the mother says, oh, ahí viene la cara de mensa. So, you know, in Spanish, you know, here comes, you know, the person with a stupid face. Yeah. And, and I'm so embarrassed to say these things. And, you know, but yes, yes. And it was constantly happening and the parents would be saying stuff. And I would be there with, sick, with Julian. Sick, toxic environment. Yes, holding Julian. And it was a preschool collaboration at the time where it was uh, 15 um, typical regular ed kids and five special ed kids in the class. It was the first yeah. year that they were doing that, that the district was doing a preschool collaboration. And mm -hmm. so I had went and I spoke to the teacher and I told her what was going on. And she was really upset and she told me we're we're going to have a meeting and is it possible when we have this meeting can you speak to the parents and i said yes of course so she mm -hmm. called us all in for a meeting and she had these dolls there and there was a doll in a wheelchair uh, a doll with glasses a doll that didn't have anything like all these different you know dolls and she was asking them like oh what disability does this doll have and so, you know, this doll can't walk, this doll is blind. And then what does this one have? And she showed him a doll that obviously didn't have anything physically that you could see on her, um, wrong with her or anything like that. And she said, well, this doll has autism. And so she starts explaining what autism is. And then she says, there's a parent here that has two children with autism. And she wants, you know, I want her to speak to the class. So she has me speak to the class and I already knew whose kid was who, you know, mm -hmm. there. And so we're talking, 
about autism and I was telling them, you know, about everything about my sons. And then I started telling them about the bullying, how they understand that they think they don't understand, but they hear everything and they understand everything that's being said. And that mm-hmm. it's very sad because these kids are learning, you know, from the parents and um, they're repeating what the parents are saying. So I look at exactly. this one lady who has this dark little child and I said, hey, how would you like it if your kid was made fun of because he's dark? And I look at her mm-hmm. and you know that that's a huge thing, you know, in culture, mm-hmm. skin color, yeah. you know that shot. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, how would you like it? Or, or this kid, I'm like, how would you like it if your kid was made fun of because he's overweight? And I looked right at the parent, you know, or your kid because he's ugly. <laughs> just, you know, I just, you know, mm-hmm. started going and, you know, doing my little indirects too, you know, being a little childish, but because I was upset of, you know, this going sure. on, you know, for so long. And, and they, the, the parents were just so surprised and they were like, oh, they couldn't believe that I spoke Spanish to start with and that I spoke right. Spanish so well. And I was mm-hmm. like, this. You froze there for a second. We've... My children. And so okay. it helped, you know, people still, it was a, it was a continuing problem. And it was very sad because these kids at an early age, they were given the opportunity to, to learn about differences and you know to right. be with kids that hey this child might need a little extra help and to friend these children and to see that it's okay if you know if there's a, a difference here or if someone needs a little help and that everyone needs to be you know a friend and so forth well so, i gotta and that's when I, breakup I, speakers started to and just before we get into now to Jacob's diagnosis and, and, and uh, or, or to, uh, I'm, to Julian, I'm sorry, his oh, diagnosis and that path. Yes. I have to tell you that again, it's a very, um, there's a term that's uh, uh, called uh, higher law and lower law. I would be tempted to address those people using a lower law approach, <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. you know, a little less evolved. And, you know, don't think I don't know. And you get in somebody's face or whatever have you. But the the path that you took was one that was higher law, you know, which is a little more uh, evolved and looking to, you know, show people, you know, about themselves in the most, you know, polite manner that one possibly can, given the circumstances. So let's go from that into now looking at Julian's progression and everything, um, there because at this point you know you've got two kids on the spectrum um and uh a third about to be diagnosed as well and and julian used to talk so much he was just talking and always pointing at everything and he Mm -hmm. was funny um he would always be behind jacob pick up bottle and jacob (laughs) would pull his bottle out of his mouth and give his bottle to julian and and they were always Mm -hmm. running around and getting into things and then about 18 months also it's like a switch went off and julian stopped talking and till this day julian is also pretty much nonverbal, only has a few words but julian started stemming he's the one that's always been the one that 
Let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because in in our case, my wife had two daughters from her previous marriage, and then we had Elijah, and then this is before we ended up becoming legal guardians too and adopting my sister-in-law's kids. But I think primarily because she had children uh, prior, I had been around cousins and you know stuff like that, you know, and um, you know nieces that were babies, but hadn't you know raised a child or anything you know 24 7 for a long period of time so i thought that everything that elijah did was like on target i didn't catch anything but my wife distinctly remembers the eye contact and the everything going away and regressing after i i believe it was the mmr uh, vaccine specifically do you know of any when when each of the because it sounds like with each of the boys they were you know looked like they were neurotypical in terms of milestones and progression and development and all that kind of stuff and then you said that there's a, a, a some line of demarcation where it just stopped and they regressed was that following any kind of um vaccine i would say yes and no because with julian he didn't get vaccinated. He okay. didn't get right. any of his vaccinations, only the one at birth. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, um, he didn't get any vaccinations till he was about three years old. And that's when they okay. made me um, get him vaccinated. Okay. And I asked, I asked because, not because I'm necessarily picking a side. So I've just mentioned what my wife's observation you know, has been. And I know she knows what she sees. At the same time, I know people whose opinions, you know, I generally value uh, that buy into the thought that there's no connection between the two. I don't necessarily know. My thought has always been, look, the safest thing to do is just rather than um, pick a side and not vaccinate, why not simply break them up? You know, so that's a whole nother conversation that we can have. But I was just curious as to you know um what if anything you noticed at that point in time so then so let's continue on with then um where things progress with julian then um with julian it was like again he wasn't um he wasn't banging his head he wasn't screaming he wasn't doing the things james was doing uh with jacob jacob just became quiet and wouldn't move you leave him like, like i said Julian was always all over the place talking. Like I said, yeah, he was, I remember holding his own bottle at two months. And I always remember that mm-hmm. because the uh, washing machine broke and the technician came in and he was like, wow, that baby has so much hair. Look at him holding his bottle. How, how old is he? And I told him two months and he's like, he's holding his own bottle. And I was like, well, when you're number four and you want to eat, you got to hold your own bottle. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to me, he, he seemed advanced. He seemed, and I was like, thank God, you know, and, it, and another thing was when I, when I was pregnant with Julian, I was hoping for a girl. I was praying for a girl. And when they told me that, that it was a boy, I just was like, no, because I was, I had seen by this time that there was more boys that had autism and I had Mm, these two mm -hmm. uh, older boys with autism. So I already had it in the back of my mind that Julian might have autism. Right. Because that's what I was seeing that 
that it was more prevalent in, in boys. Right. So which we know it now know it is was, more prevalent. Yes. And and so he didn't get his vaccinations. And I they would not take him in a program until he got mm -hmm. until they did take him in an early start program, but they would not take him in school with LAUSD until he got his vaccinations. And then I was being threatened that they were going to call social services on me because oh, wow. um, he needed to be vaccinated. And it became a big thing. And so I had to get him vaccinated. And they gave him like something ridiculous, like 10 vaccinations all at one time. Oh my and, gosh, let me ask and, you something. Especially you... after that, that's what I'm saying, the yes and no. I saw a, another huge difference in him. Were you, and were you where guys? He, he used to look at it and then he didn't after that. Yeah. Were you guys resistant to having him vaccinated because you were simply afraid at this point? Yes. Because mm, there okay. was so much talk at the time that it could yeah. be the vaccinations that were causing right. that was causing the autism and we and at that time i was in um, getting into a lot of different groups and i was working um, with usc and i had even told usc um i'm willing to do a test do a genetic testing or something on my husband and i because my right. husband and i right. um grew up we were neighbors we grew up on the same street a few houses away mm -hmm. from each other drank the same right. water, our parents right. bought the food at the same store, prepared, you know, everything right. like right. some, we were breathing the same air, we were, you know, in the same area, everything. So maybe right. it's something, something us, because I have a huge family. I can go up to back up to four generations and there's no mm -hmm. one with any special needs. There's a lot of dummies, but no, no one with special needs. <laughs> And, you know, and with my husband's family, my husband, um, he doesn't really know his father's family. His father mm -hmm. came from Mexico and changed his last name and so forth. And so he never really knew his father's family. But I mean, we're, yeah. you, there's nothing. So and then all of a sudden we have, you know, four children and three of them with, with, with special needs. With autism. Yeah. So it yeah. just didn't. It didn't make sense, uh-huh. And so once um, Julian was diagnosed, that's when we decided that we were no longer gonna have any more children because mm -hmm. it was just gonna be too difficult. All of my kids, you know, Olivia needs so much attention. She's the only girl, she's the oldest. James, right. he needs so much attention. Jacob needs so much attention. Julian needs right. so much attention. So we just found that we, that it would just be too much, too much for so, to have another child. So I want to touch on two things because the time is going by so fast as it always does. Because yeah. like they say, time flies when you're having fun. So if you could, yes. in, in, in a short a period of a time, tell us, I want to touch on two things, your involvement, because again, as an advocate, you've been involved with different organ, organizations and everything, but we came to know each other through our affiliation with the special needs network matter of fact my association and mine and brian our association with uh, that organization came about as a result of you so if, as short as you can tell us how that came to be and your involvement with them but then i want to go ahead and before we wrap up also touch on the path that leads to the decision that you had to make 
to find alternative um, living wow. arrangements for uh, for Jacob. But let's let's start with yes. your, how you got into working with the special needs network and what you do with them. Well, I I got involved with working with special needs network because I had a great need. I I myself and my children, unfortunately, uh, because my husband was a peace officer, we didn't get very much assistance. Everywhere we went, they didn't even, you know, bother to check income or anything. They would just hear he was a peace officer and they were like, no, you, you're okay. You don't need any help. Wow. And, um, and yes, and we, you know, we, we needed so much assistance. I, I did, especially, um, the boys being so different. And like I said, I didn't know anything about autism before, before my sons, mm-hmm. um, I needed assistance and I was constantly going to anywhere and everywhere. If I heard there was a meeting for something, I was there, anything to do with special ed. And so one day, uh, the district had a meeting and, um, the guest was Ariva Martin. And before mm-hmm. that, I had seen Ariva Martin in magazines and TV shows. And I was just like in awe with her. I was like, I want to be like Ariva Martin. I want to mm-hmm. meet Ariva Martin. I want to be friends with Ariva Martin. And 12 <laughs> years later, here I am. I've been working with Special Needs Network. And Ariva mm-hmm. Martin is my mentor and friend. <laughs> yes, and so, yes, fantastic. Um, I... I went, they had something, and like I said, she was a guest and she was having uh, tools for transformation. And I mm-hmm. believe it was their third year that Special Needs Network was in uh, in operations. So I went to Tools for Transformation and it was like church. There was people yes. up there, you know, singing their praises and yes, mm-hmm. and getting everybody motivated. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And so I um, I joined the organization by be- becoming a parent advocate mentor. I went mm-hmm. through their program. I was in cycle four. Um, right now they're in like cycle 30 something, I believe. And I was in cycle four. And yeah. from there just established a beautiful relationship with them. They are my family. Um, mm-hmm. I have met the most incredible extraordinary you name it women and men yeah that have become my family and friends you They're know great you know my right and die is mary lee and lisa duarte you know so yes um, yes I, it's been they it's been it's been a blessing it's been a blessing and and I I can't say anything but good things about Ariel Martin and Special Needs Network because they were yes, saving yeah. grace. They they gave me the tools, the tools mm-hmm. um, to go f- and to help my children and not only help my children, help my community. And right, so right, right. this is what I for the last for the last twelve years. So tell us now again as we as we're winding down. Um, you know, recently, I believe it was 2020, um, you were faced with um, a difficult choice to find alternative housing for your son, which is 
again, a difficult thing to do to begin with, but you did it. But then shortly after that, you then have COVID. Tell us about some of the behavior challenges that led up to having to make that decision and then any how your experience might be able to help someone else who would be facing that same situation. And then tell us about where you are today with regard to peace of mind and how he's doing and all those things. It was, it was very difficult in uh, all honesty. I never thought we would come to this day, at least not this soon. Um, this mm -hmm. early, um, Jacob was 19 when we had to make the difficult decision of placing him in a group home. Um, uh, Jacob became very depressed and he wasn't sleeping. He was crying and screaming all day and night, got very aggressive, um, started hurting mm. himself. He, um, he was cutting himself. And oh it was just, it was really difficult. Uh, at the time, my husband um, stopped working because he was having health problems. So mm -hmm. Eddie was here at home. Jacob was, um, like I said, just being very aggressive, very destructive. I, I didn't know what to do. Jacob is six foot. And at the time he was 450. And that was because mm. of all the medication. They're constantly yeah. changing his medication and all that was happening was, was going up, up, up in weight. Oh so I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was afraid. I was afraid of something happening to him or something happening to one of us. And once yeah. something happened to him or one of us, there was no going back. Right. And, and I didn't want to put him in a group home. I was ready to leave the house with him. I was, if, yeah. if I could afford it, I was ready to, okay, I'll move out with him. I'll, I'll see what we can do. And not, how am I going to do that? My husband needs me. My, my other children need me. Julian's still young. Mm -hmm. He needs me. How am I going to do yeah. this? And I just didn't know what to do. I, I, I truly didn't want to know what to do. And, and like I said, it was the hardest decision. So we decided that we needed to place them in a group home. And just the whole thing about placing them in a group home, it's not as simple as everyone thinks. Oh, and no, maybe no. It's a long maybe. process. It's a long process. So, and yeah. Yes. So I was going to say the, the red tape and the paperwork and all that is a long process, but where do you begin? Where do you begin? Because if we had to do something like that, I don't, I'm not sure what it would just be our a gut instinct, but we have a checklist. What, how do you arrive at the point where you go, okay, we're comfortable with it. Yes, we will. Uh, this is the place. How do you, how do you determine that? How do you determine where, how did you find the, the quote unquote right home? And I know you had to change them and, at and some point. How did you even find the first one? And that's the thing that I was telling you, uh, telling you, it's not an easy process. Everybody thinks it may be like, okay, group home, here you go. Um, no, you, um, they gave me a list, regional center did, gave me a, a mm -hmm. list of homes and I had to call each home and I had to be interviewed by each home. And if right. they felt that maybe he could be a fit, this would be a good place for him, then they would come to your home 
and interview mm. you some more and see see the the consumer and so forth and i was being rejected by every group home that uh, that regional center sent me to and one of the reasons mm. that i was being rejected was i was being told that they would not know how to work with me and i was like how i I'm easy. I'm easy going. You know, who said they wouldn't know how to be a problem? I don't know. The group homes. They all told me that. And the reason was because I have conservatorship and anything that they would have to do with him, they would have to run by with me. So that would be the first Mm -hmm. problem. And the second Mm -hmm. issue is that most of the time when somebody's placed in a in a facility, in a group home, um, mm-hmm. they, they're never, um, no one goes to see them again or anything like the family. And this one home right. was telling me, well, we have this one person that has been with us for 20 years. And the day they dropped him off was the last time they've ever, anyone has come to see him or called for him. And then we have another mm-hmm. person that's been with us for 10 years. And the same thing, once the person was dropped off 10 years ago, nobody has called or come to see them. Third person, same thing. Jacob would be that's the fourth you, one. And all of us, yes. And they said, and all of a sudden you're going to be there. You're going to be calling and you're going to be coming. And we're just not going to know how to deal with you. Like, wow. I'm just going to be an inconvenience. And so uh, uh, finally, this one uh, group home that Jacob, um, that we placed him at, it came out to see us. I felt a connection right away with, with the, mm-hmm. the owner. Very good person. I have nothing but love and gratitude for George. And um, he told me, sure, you know, we can work with him. Come check out the house. Because they don't even tell you where they're at or where to come see the house they come and see you and once they feel okay you'll be a fit then you come in right and so we we ended up placing him in this place and it was really hard because you have to do it with blind faith you know you're you're yeah you know turning your child over this child Mm -hmm. who you love and you want the best for and this child who does not speak who cannot say anything to you, you know, it's the most difficult thing I've ever had to do in my life. I thought I was going to die after that. I was just inconsolable. I did not see my son for months. Yeah, because after you Um, got him in, COVID hit and you couldn't see him for how long? Well, the first year he was there, we couldn't see him because they were they were trying to get him situated and they were having a very hard mm-hmm. time with him. So they felt mm-hmm. if he would see us that, you know, things wouldn't go well. So we didn't get to actually see him until like seven months after. Oh, my there. gosh. And then, then the, and then it, we were limited to how much we could see him. Then finally, when we started to to be able to see him, it was in December of um, of nine, 2019. He went in in 18, October of 2018. Um, we believe he got COVID. He got very sick and they didn't know what was wrong with him. So they wouldn't let us see him. 
And after that, they were having us take him to go see all these specialists and so forth. And then COVID came in that we all knew what was COVID and we were not able to see him at all. So how long was I it? Didn't did COVID keep you out then? Till <laughs> yes, yes. And he didn't like to talk on the phone. He didn't like to FaceTime. That would get him very upset. So we weren't, we didn't have any communication with him most of the time. And it was so, just the hardest thing in my life. Never. I can imagine. So, but so where, where, where are things today? Things today, God willingly, are great. He loves where he lives. He's at a different home now because unfortunately mm -hmm. the home he was at um, was closed. Yeah. And he's at this, he was at that other home for three years. And yeah. they, they did great with him though, Sean. I have nothing but the most love and gratitude for, for George and Mama Esther and everyone there because they brought him down to 200 pounds. He was wow. in the best health he's ever been. Wow. They took him off of so many medications. Uh, mm -hmm. He was just driving. He was doing great. And then, unfortunately, he had to be moved. And he's at this new home that's also in Carson. And they have just been amazing. They have been great. That he is great. He loves it there. I go and see him. And he already has his list ready of where he wants to go eat, where he wants to go shopping, because, you know, <laughs> He's, you know, he's working me. He's like, mom, you put me in here. You did, you know, yeah. I'm going to work you for everything. How often, do you, how often do you see him? I see him once a week. And, okay, great. Now um, let me, I see him once yeah. a week. Yes. Let me ask you this just because we're, we're running out of time. We're actually, we're going to go over a little bit, but that's okay. Um, yes. Real quickly for anyone who has a child or loved one who is, you know, becoming a challenge with whether it's you know behavior um um or, or aggression anything of that sort you know especially if they're now a, an, an adult and they're in a similar situation what's the first thing you would suggest that they do to arrive at at, at the uh, at at, at, to, um, at a conclusion as to whether or not they want to find a facility and then what's the what's the the first couple steps that you would suggest that they take or, or that you would at least do if you were to do it all over again well, like I've always told everybody, I can't tell anybody what to do, what what may work for us, may not work for right. someone else. But we were right. at a point where we could not physically, uh, physically um, be able to handle him. Right. Because let me rephrase he, it then. As it is. Yes. Yeah. Let me rephrase it then. If you had it to do all over again, you're at this point, your son is it's too overwhelming to physically handle him and you're at this crossroads, you take a bullet for him, but at the same time you want what's best for him as well as you. So you can be there for the rest of the family as well. If you, if you were at that point all over again today, what might you do differently or what are the steps that you would, that you would take knowing what you know? Oh my God. Doing things differently. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe know, you would do the same thing. Well, where so, you know, where 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 would one begin? There, yeah, but I'm saying there's so many there's so many things I I don't regret one bit mm -hmm. placing him. I see now that it's the best thing 
that he mm -hmm. needed. Not me. Here's a better question. If it then. was up to What's... me, it would be yeah. right here next to right me. Right there with you. Now. Okay. All right. Yeah. So where would you right suggest where would you suggest somebody begins if they're in a similar situation or, you know, what might be a bad, not a bad place to start again, you're not giving advice, but this is just based on your experience because I know there's people, other people out there that are like at their wits end and they don't know what to do. Yeah. I, and you know what? And like I said, again, with, with everyone, it's, it's all individual and yeah. like I said, you have to really think. You have to really think about the future. And like I, like I, with Jacob, like I said, he was at a point where he was hurting himself. He was hurting mm -hmm. other people. And if something uh -huh. happened, anything, it could have been something big, right. something small. There was no going. There's no going. No back. turning back. So you right. have to stop and think. But is it not what you need, but what your child needs? child needs that's the best place to start yes. yeah there you go yeah yeah because it, you know it's always like i said because if it was up to me the four the right you would see them all right here with me right now they would be right here right. next to me every second because i need them more, more than they need me but it's what they need and like i tell everybody when these things happen everything changes dreams change you know circumstances change everything everything it changes, changes everything now we live in a time where where their dreams are our dreams you yes. know where and with their happiness is our happiness with their well-being is our well-being and mm -hmm. so like i said it's just so difficult sean it's so difficult to tell someone and to you know what you that's okay think they should do you, or what they shouldn't do you've given you would do different you, yeah no you you've given a great answer and great value because you might not be comfortable telling someone what to do and i appreciate the honesty so much but what you did do is you suggested you know you have to really assess what is for you what's best what's best for them versus what's best for you and i think that's something that any parent um deals with but those of us who have children with special needs that happens, you know, all the time. So much about what we do is we're not even realizing that we're, it's about what's best for us. So we're just about out of time. Uh, we always end with this question though. And I'm, I'm curious that I'm still going to ask the question of you. And we, you know, it, it is as follows. Our ability to change the world uh, is based on our ability or willingness to change ourselves, no matter how great or small. So if you can give us just one example, and there's no wrong answer. One example of a belief or a thought that you once really strongly believed, but no longer believed to be true. That's the thing, Sean. I've always believed that if you do good things, people will be mm -hmm. good to your to your children and to mm -hmm. do all with love. Everything you do, let it be done with love. And no matter everything that I've been through in this life, that hasn't changed. Nothing, you know something that has changed. <laughs> That's a perfect answer because the way that we close the show is with that question. And then we move on to just remind people that there is and isn't such a thing as special needs. There's only human needs. You know, if you have had yes. diagnosis of some kind, there might be a special accommodation that you need in order to get the thing, but everybody needs the same thing to be seen, to be heard, to know that they matter and to be loved. And, um, 
and, and, and we all matter. We all want to know that we made a difference. And so for you to say that, you know, you may have other thoughts or beliefs that may or may not have changed, but that's your biggest one. And it's one that you haven't changed or let go of. Yeah. I appreciate that that answer as much as I do you. Um, every Any and everyone within the sound of my voice, um, just know that you're loved tremendously. I want to thank um, the women in my life without whom I would not be able to be. That's my mom, Jan, and my amazing wife, Laura. I want to thank my family. I want to thank everyone that tunes in um, to support us each and every week. I want to thank my good uh, friend and partner in Thrive, Mr. Brian Altunian, and encourage you to join us again. And Sylvia, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been incredible as I thought and knew it would be. Thank you so much. And for everyone that can can hear, um, we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sending everybody lots of love from Casa Lopez.